You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. I'm so glad to see all of you here this morning. A very warm welcome to all of you who are our very first-time visitors at Westside. We sincerely thank you for being here. And uh, another thing is I'm so glad that that we have three services at Westside every week. And it's been over seven years since we've all come together in one service. And so we look around Westside. And so instead of welcome to Westside, welcome Westside. And... um, and all of, all of our friends and guests that are here today. Uh, my name is Steve. I have the privilege of, of leading the leadership team at Westside Church. And uh, I have the privilege of preaching this morning and sharing the Word of God. And um, I just uh, am glad that I have a shirt. I, uh, I told the church a few weeks ago that I had a dream. This, this thing happened right here. And so I'm walking around over. I pictured all, all of this already. I've already pictured it a thousand times anyway. But coming around over here, and I had this dream that I was walking up the, the steps, um, and I didn't prepare a sermon, and I didn't have any notes. And then I looked down, and I didn't have a shirt either. I, everybody knows that I usually, I had a, I had a t-shirt on, uh, but uh, I usually change into a nicer shirt right before church. And uh, I'm so glad I have a sermon. It's all prepared. And I have a, I have a... Uh, hard copy backup, (laughs) just in case, and And I brought two shirts here today. So, oh man, this is a special day, and um, we're actually starting a brand new series uh, this morning, and uh, the series is on strong, healthy families, and we're going to go through seven weeks, and we're going to culminate this series, uh, part seven is going to be on Mother's Day. And so today is part one, but I just want to talk about families for a second. Families come in all shapes and sizes. Families uh, might be a traditional mom and dad and 2.5 kids. Uh, It might be a blended family. It might be single parent family. It might be uh, just married and not having kids yet family. Uh, It might be extended families. It might be your small group family. It might be your church family. But the Bible says that God puts people in families. He puts the lonely particularly in families. And so we all have this uh, thing that we're doing. So this is going to apply to all of us. And it's going to be very good and very healthy for us. Uh, Those who know Westside Church know that... um, One of our foundational values and our vision is that we are striving to be a strong, healthy local church. And I just want to say this, that strong, healthy local churches are made up of strong, healthy families. And today, uh, we're going to talk about the first uh, part of that is strong, healthy families are made up of strong, healthy individuals. And so God is more concerned about you than you are. And he's more concerned about your family than you are. And he's more concerned about local congregations meeting all across the world uh, today, uh, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. He's more concerned about us than we are. This is his church. He is the head of the church. We're his body and we're his bride. And so I'm very excited about that. Um, Some people wonder, somebody told me the other day, they said, I thought Easter was always in April. So for those of you who like statistics... Easter comes on the first Sunday after the first full moon after March 21st, which is traditional spring. 
So March 21st was last Monday, then we had a full moon a couple nights later. This is the first Sunday. It's rather early, so yeah, you're right. Easter is not in March very often. Next year it's going to be on April 16th. The year after it's going to be on April 1st. Just put that in your calendars. And it's not going to be in March again until 2024. So it's going to be quite a, quite a ways uh, from now. I'm going to talk about Easter this morning, but I'm going to do a little bit different take on it. So I'm going to read the scripture out of Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 1. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face was shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid, he said, I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. That's a big deal. That is a really big deal. God loved us so much that he sent himself out of eternity, put himself in time and space to live among us, to live as a human being with all the uh, uh, frailties and temptations that human beings have. Yet he lived a perfect sinless life and he was the perfect sacrifice uh, for us. Just as he said he would. Come and see where his body was lying and now go quickly. Tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. So a lot of times on Easter, I'll talk about the resurrection. I'll talk about the evidences uh, for the resurrection. Uh, Many uh, historians uh, and theologians say that there's more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ than there is any uh, event in historicity or antiquity. And uh, if you look at it like a prosecutor would, a a judge or something, uh, that there's much, much evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Sometimes I talk about the eyewitnesses. How did uh, Mary respond? How did uh, John and Peter respond? How did um, Thomas respond? And and so on. And today, I'm not talking about those things. I'm not talking about the response of the thieves on either side of Jesus. And, um, but I do want to say this. If you have questions about the authority of the Bible, how we can trust the Bible and believe the Bible. If you have questions about history, did Jesus really exist? Uh, Did he really rise from the dead? I want to tell you this. It is okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask questions. Uh, It's okay to ask honest questions. When you're searching and you really want to know the answer, it's a wonderful thing to explore uh, this. Many of us have walked through, in our journey of faith, we've walked through those same uh, questions and we found the answers Uh, in Jesus Christ. But today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to attempt to answer the question, why did Jesus have to die? That's what I'm going to talk about uh, this morning. Why did Jesus have to die? So our first question is, why did Jesus have to die? (laughs) All right. And the first answer is, is because we were separated by sin. So before I get into this, into the deep heart of this, uh, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and our eyes to hear your word for us this morning. Each one of us here, 
uh, has a relationship with you or a beginning of a relationship with you or will have of some kind or another. But God, I pray that wherever we are in our walk with you, that you would take us to our next level of understanding, our, our, our next uh, uh, comprehension of your word for us and its application to our hearts. And God, your word says that the Holy Spirit will lead us into truth. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and open up our hearts today that we might hear individually and corporately from you. Amen. So the answer is we were separated by sin. In Isaiah chapter 59, the prophet says, Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is ear too deaf to hear you call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Now, in our culture, we don't like that word sin very much, so we come up with other words like I messed up or... or uh, Uh, um, I failed, or I'm not doing so well. And so the Bible calls this thing sin. We've all sinned, the Bible says. Sin simply means missing the mark. If you want to do an illustration, you're shooting at a target, and you miss the mark. Now, the mark is God's glorious ideal. And none of us, not one of us, has attained to God's perfection and holiness. And so we miss the mark. That's simply what that is. The Greek word is harmatia. It means miss the mark. It's very easy to understand that way. And so sin is every wicked thought, every unkind deed, every time we kicked the dog, every time we spoke angrily, every time we harbored resentment and bitterness, every time we uh, gave in to temptation or addictions. A lot of us think that sin is, oh, you have to be in a drug cartel or rob a bank or something like that. No, actually, we've all sinned. And here's a good way to tell if you've sinned. Have you violated your own conscience? Have you ever done something that you wish you hadn't have done or said something that you wish you could pull those words back? And the second you say something, you just want to pull those words back. And it's like sending a text. Once it's out there, it is out there. I texted my wife recently. Only it wasn't my wife. I thought I was texting her and it was texting somebody else. You can't take those things back. All right? That's what sin is. You, you, you sin is missing the mark. All right? And sin separates us from God. God is holy. He is perfection. And our sin causes that separation. Question number two. Why did Jesus have to die? I have four questions today. They're all the same question. Uh, The answers are different. Number two, answer. Because we couldn't bridge the gap on our own. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. The Bible says, For by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So just a moment on that. Grace is something that you get that you don't deserve. Someone once said grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's redemption at Christ's expense. So God bought us back. He purchased us back. And the Payment was paid by Jesus, not by us. And so it's God's grace that is offered to us. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Um, And so we don't get into heaven by doing good deeds. We don't 
bridge that gap, so to speak. Sometimes we want to learn and become educated or, or ha- understand philosophy or, or uh, try to pay enough or do good enough. All the good deeds in your life won't get you one minute in heaven. We cannot bridge that gap on our own. Uh, it's insurmountable, this bridge between God and man. Question number three, why did Jesus have to die? Jesus died because he had to fulfill God's plan. This was God's plan from the beginning for Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice. It wasn't plan B. God created Adam and Eve and they messed up. And so we can blame them. And so now he had to come up with another plan. No, this is God's plan from the very beginning 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Jesus Christ. And so the only way to bridge this huge chasm between God and man is the man Jesus Christ. God Almighty coming out of heaven, living among us, and then Jesus paid the penalty, and that, is, and that alone is the only thing that bridges that gap between God and us. And this was God's plan from the very beginning. Adam and Eve in Genesis uh, chapter 1 and 2 and 3. And we see uh, that Adam and Eve messed up. They broke God's rules. He said, I created this beautiful world for you. Uh, rule and have dominion over it and, and, and care for it and tend it. But don't touch that tree over there. So they sinned, and that sin entered the world, and it broke fellowship, broke relationship with Almighty God. But from the very beginning, God had a plan, and that plan was Jesus Christ. And so there was a prophecy for the man, you're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to sweat. Work is not part of the punishment, but work that is uh, through thorns and thistles and, and, and sweat and those kind of things, that is part of the curse. And then, and then women had part of the curse. And part of their curse was chain in, in childbearing and uh, pain in childbearing. And so then the prophecy came to the serpent. And God said, there's going to be enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And you shall bruise his heel. That means the offspring, so the devil at the cross, this is a prophecy from thousands of years earlier. God is saying that at the cross, the devil's going to bruise Jesus' heel, and Jesus would bruise the devil's head. And so if I took a hammer, a sledgehammer, say a nice little two-pound sledge, and I cracked you on the heel with it, would that hurt? Yes, it would hurt. That's what happened to, the devil did that to Jesus, and Jesus went through the pain of the cross. But The Bible says that Jesus would bruise his head. So if I took that same sledgehammer and hit you on the head, that's it. All right, so the prophecy there was that Jesus would defeat the devil. So what happened was God gave Adam and Eve this dominion over the earth and this perfect fellowship with them. And then the devil came in and robbed that from them. He stole the the keys, uh, so to speak, of this dominion over the earth. And then at the cross, Jesus went and took them back. 
And that is the victory at the cross. Jesus defeated many things. Among them our health and our healing. Among them sin and death. And that's where Jesus had the great victory. That was God's plan from the beginning. So all of Adam and Eve and and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the children of Israel, all of that in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus, to the day that he would die for our sins, to the day that he would pay my penalty and he would pay your penalty for murder. Jesus said, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder. For adultery. Jesus said, guys, if you look on a woman with lust... That's adultery already. Jesus paid the penalty for our brokenness, our, our sin. He paid the penalty for our rejection. He paid the penalty for our addictions and our bitterness and our cheating on taxes and whatever it is. Jesus paid the penalty. Now, here's what happened. And this week, that's Easter and, and, and Good Friday and Easter, we, we kind of remember, or anytime we celebrate communion... We, we remember the death of Jesus. So here's Jesus. He came to this earth. He had a ministry for about three and a half years. And he taught his disciples. And he had a whole lot of followers. And he said some tough things. He said, if you really want to be my disciple, you're going to have to give up everything and follow me. It's going to cost you something. And then he gets accused falsely. And they said, uh, you're disrupting our flow here of religiousness. And by the way, Jesus hates religion. If you hate religion, you're in a good company because Jesus hated religion too. Religion comes to bind and it comes to choke and it comes to condemn. And Jesus came to set us free from all of that. He said it's not about religion. It's about relationship with Almighty God. It's not about you trying to attain to God's perfection. It's about God reaching out of eternity for you. And that's the difference between true Christianity and every other religion in the world. Is Every other religion is man's attempt to reach God through their own effort. And true Christianity relationship with God, what Jesus came to bring, is God reaching for us and pulling us out of the pit where we were. So they arrested him, and they beat him, and they put a crown of thorns on his head. And they, then they took a, a cat of nine tails and scourged him and gave him 39 lashes. It's very unpleasant to think about. Nine little uh, thongs of leather on a short whip. Each one of them, on the end, there was a bit of jagged glass or uh, metal. And so a skilled executioner could kill a man with 40 lashes. So they said 39, which was one short of killing them or executing them. So his back and his sides were literally turned into something horrible. Huge pain. Then they put a heavy cloak on him. And then they paraded him around from trial to trial all night long with no sleep in this huge agony. Then by the morning, the, the blood was starting to dry and congeal on his back, and they ripped the robe off again and put a big cross on him. And he's walking up to Calvary, and he stumbles under the weight, and it sort of crushes his chest, not breaking any bones, but causing huge chest and heart contusions to where later when they put the spear in his side, blood and water came out. And then they hang him up on the cross, which is the most horrific form of execution that's ever been uh, uh, 
conceived. In fact, they invented a word for the pain that you endure when you're being crucified. And that word is excruciating. It comes from the, from the root word of the cross. What happens there? So Jesus endured this horrible physical pain. I don't know. I've never endured pain like that. I'm sure you haven't. Some of you have endured horrible pain. Uh, I've been pretty fortunate. Um, but I remember when I was 13, I was on a scouting trip and I cut my thumb. And then a couple days later, when it was all pussy and infected, I had to come home as an eighth grader. And I got this here, and we go to the doctor. And the doctor kind of chews my mom out for not bringing me in sooner because now he can't put any numbing on it. So he has to sew it up with no, nothing to dull the pain. As a 13-year-old, that was the worst I've ever experienced. Sweat dripping down and have your thumb sewed up when it's totally infected. And uh, I've endured other things that are more painful than that, but that one is like people can relate to it for some reason. <laughs> that was horrible. But uh, most of you know that I was a foster child. I didn't know my dad, and my mom died when I was five years old and a ward of the state and passed around to a lot of foster homes. And, and um, as, a, as a young five, six, seven, eight year old, I remember oftentimes crying myself to sleep because I missed my mom. Couldn't figure out where she went. Couldn't figure out why she didn't want to be there anymore. But if you said, Steve, would you rather have a thumb cut or would you rather be separated from your mother? What would your answer be? I said, I'd rather have a hundred of these than that. So Jesus is on the cross enduring this horrific pain physically. And then the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. Jesus, who was perfect and innocent, and it was totally unjust that he was up there suffering for you and for me. I don't know how God did I wish I understood how God did this in the spiritual realm. But somehow, some way, God dispatched a legion of angels to go around the whole earth. I'm just giving a little license here. But Jesus became sin for us. I don't know how God did it. But so maybe angels went around and took everybody's sin. All my sin. All that stuff that you're even ashamed to admit to your closest friends. Those thoughts. Everything. And came and put it on Jesus. I don't know if you've ever felt guilty, but Jesus had all our guilt on him at once. And then they went back in time throughout history to every single person who ever lived and then came back to the present and put that sin on Jesus. And then they went into the future and came and got my sin and your sin. Went back and put that on Jesus. So the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin. Sin embodied. Your sin and my sin. And everyone's sin. And then... Because God is holy, and he's just, and he's perfection, he turns away from Jesus, who he had perfect 
fellowship with for all of eternity. And Jesus, what did he do? He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So, if you went to Jesus and say, would you rather have that physical pain? Or would you have rather be separated from the Father? That was way worse than his actual physical pain, and that was bad enough. But Jesus endured the physical, the mental anguish, the emotional separation because he loves you. And he cried out before God and before man. He said, it is finished. He did it. He did what God sent him to do. He was the ultimate sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice. And his disciples laid him in a grave, but that wasn't it. In three days, God raised him from the dead, just like he said he would. He accomplished the purpose for which he came, and God was true to his word and raised Jesus from the dead. So question number four. Why did Jesus have to die so we can become right with God? Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith. That's righteousness. Being made right in God's sight by faith. I'm going to talk about this just for a second before we're finished. There's a theological term for this. It's called justification. So we're going to explore this just for a few moments. Therefore, we've been made right in God's sight by faith. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. A lot of people talk about having peace with God or making their peace with God. Let me tell you, you cannot make peace with God on your terms. You make peace with God on His terms. He's our creator. We're the created. On Forrest Gump, when Lieutenant Dan gets up there in the crow's nest and he... And and Forrest Gump goes, well, I guess Lieutenant Dan made his peace with God that night. That is not how you make peace with God. You make peace with God by getting on your knees and saying, I believe you. I believe that you are who you said you were. And you did what you said you would do on his terms. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So being made right with God is more than God just forgiving you. If you had a bank balance and you... We don't write checks much anymore. In fact, I'd be hard-pressed to find any of you under 40 years old that have a checkbook with you right now. But in the old days, when we wrote checks, and you had zero in your balance, and you wrote a $25 check, you were in debt, all right? So forgiveness is not God just forgiving your sins and bringing you up to zero. Being made right with God, being justified, is not only having your sins forgiven, but also Him putting you in a place where you are His child and you receive a full inheritance and you have all the rights and all the privileges that apply thereto of being a child of the King. That should thrill you. That's what justification is. And John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive Him, He gave them the right to be the children of God to those who believe in His name. 
So being right in God's sight is being justified. Now, a couple of things about justification. First of all, justification, being made right in God's sight, is instantaneous. It's instantaneous. God declares you to be in right standing before his throne. That is amazing. It's instantaneous. Uh, Justification is when God takes a person who's dead in their trespasses and sins, and he says this, I create within you the new life of Christ, and now I look upon you and I see you just as perfect as I see the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you confess your sins to him and say, Lord, I'm a sinner, please save me. I believe Jesus died on the cross for us. I believe he rose from the dead. I want to follow him. Please be Lord of my life. When you say that or something like that in your heart and you mean it, the Bible says you'll be saved. In Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth, you've got to actually say it out loud too to tell somebody. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So it's instantaneous. And justification is the act of God whereby he declares an ungodly person to be perfect while he or she is still ungodly. So justification is like a judicial act of God. It's like God is on the throne and he takes the gavel like a judge would and and slams it on, on, on the whatever bench and he says, you are righteous. Now God said this to me before through his word. And, and, and he declares me righteous, and I go, God, but, you know, I messed up yesterday. We know that messed up is lingo for sin. All right? I really messed up. And God says, I see you as righteous. I have declared you righteous. In addition to pardoning sin, justification declares that all the claims of the law are satisfied in respect of the person justified. So the law is not relaxed, it's not set aside, it's you're declared righteous. And you're entitled to all those privileges. And you go, God, but I know I'm a sinner. And God says, I declare you righteous. This is if you truly repented and asked Jesus to be your Lord. You want to be a Christian, you want to be a Christ follower. And you say, oh, I messed up. God says, I declared you righteous, but I don't feel right. I declared you righteous. I remember Terry and I were crossing the border into Canada, and we lived up there a couple years early on in our marriage, and our son was born there. So he's Canadian and American. He has dual citizenship. And uh, so he could run for president, and he wouldn't be... He would be American, all right? But he's also a Canadian. And so we, we said, now, if he was to apply for a passport, uh, would he be... Would he, and, and the lady goes... He's Canadian. I said, yeah, but he's never lived, lived there other than as a baby. He's Canadian. And this is me. This is like I am. I just don't believe it the first time. I say it like three or four times. Finally, she goes, he is Canadian. Like this. And Terry's going, will you shut up? <laughs> Man. And we go before God and we say, I messed up. How could I be a Christian? How could I be righteous before you when I'm so wicked and I violate the things that I said I wouldn't do and I do them? And God says, because I don't see your heart. I see the blood of Jesus. This is an analogy which is actually beautiful if believers understand this. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross 
by faith is applied to us and God says, I see you as perfect and as righteous and I declare you that. And you cannot challenge that. Uh, I don't really recommend movies, but I recommend scenes in movies. So if you can figure that out, you could check this one out. But one of my favorite scenes in movies is in a movie called The Knight's Tale. And uh, Sir William is a usurper. He pretends like he's nobility and he's not. Everybody knows he's not. And so he wants to compete in these jousting events and things. And, and he's found out and he's arrested and he's put in the stocks and people are throwing rotten tomatoes and lettuce at him. And, and uh, he's suffering this because he pretended to be nobility and he wasn't. But previously he had been kind to the king's son And so all of a sudden through the crowd comes the king's son. And it says that Prince Edward says this to the guards. He says, release him. And there's murmuring in the crowd because they don't don't believe this. And Prince Edward turns to the crowd and says, he may appear to be of humble origins, but my personal historians have discovered that he is descendant of, from an ancient royal line. And there's more murmuring in the crowd because they know this is a bunch of bunk. And he says this, This is my word, and as such, it is beyond contestation. In other words, you can't contest it. You can't challenge it. It's the king's word. So then he turns to William and says, Take a knee. By the power vested in me by my father, King Edward, and all the witnesses here, I dub thee Sir William. So we go before God, and he says, I declare you righteous, because by faith you trusted in me and my word, and you committed your life to me. You are saved. You are justified. But I don't feel it. He says, you are clean. But I messed up. I said, you are righteous. And as such, it's against all contestation. Aren't you glad you have somebody in your corner that believes in you? Aren't you glad that you didn't have to earn it? Because I never would have made it far at all. Aren't you glad and thankful That God Almighty reached out for you and for me? I'm so thankful. And I'm so thankful that he did it. He followed through. He finished it. It is finished. And he rose again on the third day. I am so, so grateful. So justification is not the forgiveness of a person without righteousness, but a declaration that he or she possess a righteousness which perfectly and forever satisfies the law. So here's what we've done. We have exchanged our rags. We're standing before him poor and broken and battered and, and wicked. And we're dressed in rags. We exchange our rags and he gives us a robe of righteousness. I'll tell you what, we got a good deal. We got a good deal. Now, that's justification. Sanctification, which is another topic 
once you are saved, then because we're thankful, because we're grateful, we want to live a life that pleases Him. Not to earn His favor. We've already earned His favor. Not to be forgiven. We have, we're already going to heaven. But we live a life because we're thankful and we're grateful. Now, the sole condition of this righteousness, or it's imputed or credited to you, is faith in Jesus Christ. That's the condition. It's called a condition, not because it possesses any merit, because, but because it's the way. The only way. The Bible says that Jesus is the way. The way, not a way. The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. So the exercise of faith brings us into right, unmerited relationship with God. So, the moment you say yes to Jesus, and you mean it. And when you say yes to Jesus, I'm saying you... You're asking him to forgive your sins. You acknowledge you're a sinner. You believe he is who he said he was. You believe that he died for your sins. You believe that you, he wants you to turn your life over to him and follow him. That's a Christ follower. That's what a Christian is, Christ follower. The moment that you say yes, you pass from death to life. The moment you, you say yes to Jesus, you pass from darkness to light. The moment you say yes to Jesus, everything you've ever done has been wiped clean. And you're living for Him for all eternity from that point on. You don't have to do anything. Even the faith that it requires to say yes to Him comes from Him. So it all comes from Him. I want to encourage you, if you are a Christ follower already. Many of you here, most of you probably are today. Don't doubt this. My dad was a pastor and I grew up hearing him say, doubt your doubts. Don't believe your doubts. Doubt your doubts. Doubt your doubts. And he said, and believe your beliefs. A lot of times we live life backwards. We doubt our beliefs and believe our doubts. That makes for a mixed up person. Doubt your doubts, believe your beliefs. Now, bringing it back to strong, healthy families. We didn't talk too much about family, but this is foundational. Strong, healthy families are made up of strong, healthy individuals. And to become a strong, healthy individual, it begins with a right relationship with your Creator. That's the beginning. If you want to reach all that God had destined for you, if you want to have your hopes and your dreams surpassed by anything you could plan because God's hopes and dreams for you are much greater than you could, I encourage you to say yes to Jesus today. So if you already are a believer, put this down somehow in note form, attach it to your mirror in the morning, and preach this to yourself every day. Oh, I messed up yesterday. You are in right standing before Almighty God. I know, but I really messed up. You don't know what I thought. Yes, I do because I'm you. You are in right standing with Almighty God. He declared you to be righteous. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. 
not by works of righteousness, which I have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Know that you know that you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord. Know in your knower. Get it deep down. Preach this to yourself every day. How can you possibly help somebody else if you're dry and shriveled and empty? Let your faith bubble up within you. Be overwhelmed with the goodness of God. Like David cried out the psalmist, he said, My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And if you once believed this, but haven't been living this lately, today is the day, it was prophesied earlier this morning, that this, today would be a crossroads for many people. Today, you are at this junction. I urge you to choose life. I urge you to say yes to Jesus Jesus, I once loved you. I once served you. I once lived for you. Put me back on the right track. Please. Forgive me. I've gone my own way. I want to follow you. Right where you're seated, right now. And some of you may have asked questions all your life. You didn't know if you wanted to follow Jesus. But something inside of you this morning is saying, you know what? Everybody's weird. So not just Christians are weird, but everybody is. Everybody has quirks. But you know what? This makes sense. My creator is reaching out for me because he loves me, and he made a plan for me to come to him. And I want to encourage you this morning, if that's you, if you've never said yes to Jesus right now, in the next, in the next like two minutes, you can pass from death to life, from no hope to all hope. From not living in your destiny to living, fulfilled, serving the King of Kings. And here's how you do it. I'm going to pose a question to you and I'm going to say, can you say this? I'm a sinner. Yep. Can you say this? Jesus, I believe in you. Can you say this? Jesus, will you forgive my sin? Will you make me your child today? I want to serve you. I want to love you. I want to live for you. I might be a plumber, but I want to be a plumber that serves Jesus. I might be a homemaker, but I want to be a homemaker that serves Jesus. I might be a teacher. I might be in government. I might be in the medical field. I might be in creative arts. I might be a student. I don't care what it is. I want to be a person that loves Jesus. I want to live my life and make an impact in my sphere of influence. We're going to talk about that in the next few weeks, but I want to follow you from this point on. And you don't have to do anything. You don't have to say any magical words. You just say in your heart of hearts, you say, yes, Jesus, I believe that. Yes, Jesus. Please say yes today. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask something. I don't usually do this, but I'm going to do this this morning. You don't have to, but I'm going to ask you if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. If you would, just for a, a sense of privacy... 
If you are the type of person I've been talking about this morning, that you once really loved Jesus, you once really served him, and you just kind of got distracted and got busy with life, and you've kind of woken up recently and realized, hey, I don't love Jesus like I once did, and I've been doing my own thing, and it hasn't been going great. But today is the day that I will say yes to Jesus and get back on track. That's you. Please lift up your hands so I can see who you are today. Today is the day I'm getting back on track. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All right. You can put your hands down. If you're the type of person that I've been talking about, you, you don't really know if you've ever said yes to Jesus. I go to church. I try to be good. But that stuff doesn't mean anything that won't bridge that gap only trusting in Jesus bridges that gap only believing in your heart that he is Lord that God raised him from the dead by saying yes to Jesus will you pass from death to life if that's you and right now in your heart you're saying yes you're saying yes If that's you, I want you in your heart right now to repeat this prayer after me. If you didn't remember all the words, there's no certain words, there's no sinner's prayer in the Bible, but it's something along these lines. If that's you, you want to say yes to Jesus today, please believe this and say it in your heart right now. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I know I'm a sinner, and I know you paid the penalty for my sin. This morning... I say yes to you. I believe you are who you said you were and you did what you said you were going to do. I believe that you rose from the dead and that you're coming back again someday. I want to follow you and become a Christ follower. If that's you, if that's, you believe that, would you raise your hand right now if you just said that in your heart? All across the room, people are saying that. I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Amen.